You are listening to The Exchange. I am your host, Dr. Lorraine. Welcome listeners. Today I am so honored to have Dr. Tina Royer with me. She is a professor at Christian Life College, as well as the author of Restoring Love, a book on overcoming abuse, shame, and unnatural affection. And we today we are going to be talking about the subject of unnatural affection. So Dr. Tina Royer, thank you so much for being my guest. It is an honor to have you. Welcome to the Exchange Podcast. Thank you. So we're going to go ahead and just dig right in. And I just wanted you to tell all of our listeners um, who you are, just briefly who you are, where you're from, about your family, your work, your education, anything that you would like for us to know about you. All right. So I'm Tina Royer and I teach at Christian Life College. You already said that I teach English Mm -hmm. and this is kind of my um, like my how would you say like my hobby job? I don't know. My full-time job is as a community college professor, but in the last four or five years, there have been some things happen where it just hasn't been a safe place, I would say. And so I don't know what will happen there long-term, but I haven't been on the campus there in a long time, but I have been on the Bible college campus. Uh, we pastor a church in Rio Linda, which is in the Sacramento area. And we pastored for 10 years this year, actually in September we have three kids, my husband and I do, and uh, we have a teenager who's 14, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. So um, that's kind of my, a little, and I was not raised in the church. That's another thing that will probably become important. So um, I know that you do teach English. So you have a doctorate in English literature or? Nope. I have a, a bachelor's and a master's in English. And okay. then in my master's, I actually did a concentration in creative writing. And then my PhD is from Northwest Nazarene University, and it's in educational leadership. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. So I wanted to also ask, so you um, you said you have been in church for how many years now since you've been? Since, yep. So since, oh, Lord. Oh, man, I, I feel so old. So I, um, it was 1998. Okay. When I walked in the church doors, um, no, 1997, I walked in the church doors. Oh my word. I can't, that's the same year I graduated high school. So it was 1997. I walked in the church doors in 1998 is the year I was baptized. Okay. So you and I are close in age because I graduated from high school in 1998. So there you go. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Very close. Very close. (laughs) Very close in age. So I wanted to go in and start talking in the book that you wrote, like I mentioned, Restoring Love, and uh, we're going to tell you how you can get this book at the end of our interview, you talked about how you came to church for the first time in 1997 um, with your girlfriend. Can you tell our podcast listeners briefly what that first time was like for you attending church? Yeah, in fact, it's strange because I'm writing about it right now. It's um, in the last few weeks, I've been writing some like early testimony stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first time I came, I had come the night before for Christmas or the Saturday before Friday before for a Christmas program. And my mom had come, my stepmom had come and I really liked it. Everyone was so nice at the Christmas program and it made my little brothers and sisters so happy. You know, they're like, oh, we have family who was here. So I decided to surprise them and come on Sunday for church. And I had a girlfriend at the time and we were serious enough that I thought we would be like a forever relationship. There was real possibility of that. 
And I told her I was going to go to church and she said, well, I'll go with you. And I had been to a lot of churches in the past. I had been, I'd been to a Baptist church in high school for a season assemblies of God church. When I was a little girl, I would ride the Sunday school bus where there was a, um, a lady, my mom worked with at a bar who would take us to that church. And so that they were, they're very different. Like the assemblies of God church, they would raise their hands a little, but this was like back in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, like late eighties, maybe that I went there and I was young, but it, it wasn't like a lot of real demonstrative worship. You know, it was some, but not a lot. And the Baptist church, there was none. In fact, I remember the first time my mom ever came with me to the Baptist church when I was in high school, I was sitting up in the front with some of the youth, not in the very front, but like toward the front. And I heard someone like sniffling in the back and I turned and looked and my mom was back there and she was crying. And I was so embarrassed because nobody else was crying. Right. <laughs> I was like, stop. I was just drawing attention. Um, and so when I, I didn't really know what to expect when I went to the Pentecostal church the first time. So when my girlfriend said she would go with me, I was like, all right, great. Let's go to church. Mm-hmm. And I still remember like walking in, it just was normal. Everything was great. And then, um, the pastor said, okay, he like took up prayer requests. He said, let's pray. And I bowed my head like we were supposed to do. And all I was just like stunned by the chorus of voices around me, a sea of voices, really everyone was praying out loud and raising their hands. And I was like, I remember looking at um, my mom and it was obvious to me then she'd been in some kind of church like that before because she wasn't praying out loud, but her lips were moving and she had her hands like she didn't do like the full raise, you know, but she was like, I'd have lifted <laughs> a little and I was like, okay, so my mom's okay with this, obviously. And then I looked around and other people were, but then I looked at my girlfriend and she was just like smirking, you know, I mean, it was kind of silly um, if you're not, if you don't know what you're dealing with. So she, she really didn't seem to feel anything, but I there was an experience earlier in my life that I had had at the assembly of the God church um, or with some of the people from there where I felt the Holy ghost for the first time as a little girl. And I knew in that service that even like the, in the Pentecostal church, the first time in 97, that even though I didn't understand all that was going around me, I knew what I felt, you know, it was like, it hearkened back to an earlier experience I'd had and I knew I wanted it, whatever it was. So I didn't, um, but it was, it was definitely um, not what I expected. So my, my girlfriend at the time, she was not interested in church at the end of the service. I remember I said, I think I kind of like this church. And she was like, yeah, not so much, you know, she didn't. <laughs> and then we didn't part ways exactly then, but it really was the beginning of our parting ways. we just, we saw each other a few more times after that. It wasn't like we lived together. So we didn't have to like, you know, nobody moved out, that sort of thing. We just kind of just, it wasn't even like we broke up. We just stopped seeing each other. And um... Um, You talk about this in your book. And when I was reading this, there's so many things that were going on in my mind because you were just like, okay, I went to church for the first time, you know, with my girlfriend. And and the reason why I love that we're talking about this, and I know that you have written about this and talked about this in many, um, several conferences that you have gone to, but, you know, you talk about a natural affection because I know that you have mentioned, I've heard you say that homosexuality is not in the Bible, and so I will continue to, you know, refer to as that, but we know that as, as homosexuality, sure. that was yeah. a lifetime, that was a lifestyle that you lived. Um, and so it's so important that we talk more about these things. And I think that the more that we talk about this, the more that we understand, you know, yeah. the power of God and what he can do. And you are a living proof right. of that. And right. So, and it's not that the acts are not in the Bible. Homosexuality is all through the Bible, right? I mean, right. God talks about it. We see examples of it. It's just a term is not a scriptural term. It's a scientific term. I don't mind it. I just, um, I don't know. I just, sometimes I don't like how it sounds or how it's used. Maybe. I don't know. Right. 
I can't really say more about that or I would. I still am trying to process what it is that bothers me about it. Yeah, that that completely makes sense that that would be something that would be like, okay, wait, that's that word's not in the Bible. We know it's a it's an actual thing, but the word isn't. So and then your book says unnatural affection. Right. So so um I wanted to talk about when, because you just mentioned that that was the first time that you were kind of starting to part ways with your mm-hmm. girlfriend because she didn't really feel like this was her thing, but you knew it was, you were feeling like God and she wasn't. Right. Um, so when did God start to deal with you about giving up your, your lesbian lifestyle? Like when did that kind of feel like, okay, this is no longer right or no longer pleasing to God. And I, I want to you know, go in a different direction because I want my life to please God. When did you kind of feel that? Yeah. Well, honestly, it's kind of nuanced. So the night I got baptized, it was a February 15th of 2000 and no, what did I say? 1998, 1998. And the night I got baptized, I went in to get baptized. And while I was in there, I felt like I was supposed to take out my tongue ring, but I really didn't want to. And I didn't understand that it was, it was God speaking to me for the first time, like nudging me to do something. And I didn't understand that. So I took out my tongue ring before I got baptized. It's a longer story than that, but I took it out. I went and got baptized. I came back in and I looked in the mirror. I was getting ready to put it back in. And I just felt like I wasn't supposed to. And um, I never did put it back in, but fast forward a lot of years. And I've told this story before I was at Western district camp meeting already as a pastor's wife. And I was talking to a lady who had a piercing. I still, I think it might've been her eyebrow, but I might've, I or live. I can't remember. And I was talking to her and I just said, so your church, you know, they're good to you about it. And she said, oh yeah, my pastor's wife told me, don't take it out unless God tells me to. And I was like, and he really hasn't told you to. Cause I know for me, that was like one of the first things he asked me to take out was my tongue ring. And she said, no, he really hasn't. If God asked me to, I would. So I went back to my tent and um, I lay down and I just, I didn't realize I'd been kind of bitter with God about it. And so I asked the Lord, I said, why have you let her keep hers all these years? <laughs> but you asked me to take my piercing out like the night I got baptized and I was crying. I mean, it's embarrassing to say I was a pastor's wife and I was so <laughs> embarrassed about it. Um, like now looking back, I was, but in the moment it was just like, I was devastated. Like, Lord, why? I don't understand. I liked it. And why, why did you not let me keep it longer? It's so stupid. I mean, I feel dumb to say it. But the Lord let me know that day in um, my tent at camp meeting, he, he let me know that he needed to know I was to know I would be willing to lay it down. And he didn't even have to tell me what the it was because the it represented for me the, the lifestyle I had been living. I had gotten my tongue pierced at a gay piercing shop um, in what's now, I don't know if it's still referred to, but like Lavender Heights in Sacramento. After mm-hmm. I'd gone to a gay coffee shop, we just kind of all congregated together. It was like not every place was friendly to the gay lifestyle, which is so opposite now. Right. And so, um, the tongue ring really didn't represent when he asked me to take it out. It was like, would I lay down a lot of that, even though I didn't realize it then that's what God was asking of me, but it was years. I would say before I, I mean, I got married in 1999 and mm-hmm. I was like, I love my husband. I always have. And I, I wasn't, I would say I was not lesbian when I got married. I did not I absolutely didn't. I loved my husband, but that doesn't mean there weren't lots of moments when Satan didn't come back and try to, um, and and really to tear down what God was building in me, you know, like I'm, when I committed to my husband, I committed to him and no one else. So whether it was a woman or a man, neither would be right, you know? So I had made a commitment and I wasn't willing to, to stray from that, but that doesn't mean the enemy didn't try to get me to. 
So, and I never talked about any of this publicly either. I mean, I, I didn't tell anybody about my past. And there was one day, she's actually a dear friend of mine now, but there was another pastor's wife. We were at the lake together, a group of pastor's wives and their kids um, and some others from like church, whatever, were out at the lake on jet skis. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this woman asked me, she said, so before your husband, like, what was your last boyfriend like? And I was like, well, you know, and I kind of <laughs> hedged and she just kept pushing. And it got to the point where I was either going to have to say, I don't want to talk about this, or I was going to have to lie, or I was just going to have mm-hmm. to tell her the truth. So it was like the first time I had taken a risk and I had, because I had heard the church, how do I say this? I'm going to be careful. I I had heard things said in the church that were not kind to people like what I was when I walked in the church doors for the first time. So I had learned to guard, you know, I just didn't say anything. So this woman, she kept asking me, finally, I just said to her, I said, well, look, honestly, my last relationship before my husband was with a woman. And then I honestly waited for her to pack up her kids and get up and leave. That's what I was waiting for. Cause I'm like, this was, you know, a long time ago. And mm-hmm. the church really still doesn't know how to deal with people from lifestyles that are, I would say like yeah. counter biblical, you know, that don't go along with the word of God. Right. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to deal with it. And so this was years ago. So I sure didn't expect that she would be, but she was so sweet to me. She said, really? And so after you got married or after you got the Holy Ghost, all that just went away, you know, and I was like, well, not exactly. So mm-hmm. it was, it was not that easy, but I don't even remember what your first question was. <laughs> no, I was like, definitely I asking when you were, you were talking about, um, you know, when God asked you to take out your tongue ring and I was just yeah. asking when God wanted you to give up that lesbian lifestyle. So that tongue ring represented the lifestyle that the Lord was asking you to lay down because that was like all all of that stuff I just didn't know it at the time you know I knew I remember the first time I was confronted with scripture about um, homosexuality or you know I I remember going well wait a minute that's wrong I really didn't know and Mm -hmm. I I did what probably a lot of people have done which was I looked all and the internet really wasn't even like it was dial-up internet if we had any back then it was not like and I remember like trying to find stuff about like, what do these scriptures really mean? Um, somebody had a strong concordance. And I remember like looking in there going, it really can't mean that it can't. Mm-hmm. And I probably what any, it's like when I first got dealt with me about marijuana, I remember saying like, Lord, it's natural. You made it this way. <laughs> How can it be wrong? You know? And I remember like wrestling with God about that. And it was the same thing about the lifestyle I lived. I was like, if, if the word of God says this, I want to live right. But if it doesn't really say this, and this is just people saying that, I'm not going to follow people. And so I remember wrestling and really digging in and trying to like, but so for me, I feel like when I was confronted with the word of God, I had to make some decisions and I did a lot of work looking in. It doesn't mean this, does it not mean that? Are people just saying that? And then when I, I, when I realized that the word of God really did not condone a, a lesbian or gay lifestyle. I, I had a, like a decision to make, and it was really soon. I mean, it was probably within the first six or seven months that I, after I got the Holy ghost and got baptized that I had to make a decision because I, I couldn't live in a, I couldn't live my life in a way that, um, just to please people, you know, right. and when God showed me it was wrong and using his word, I, I had to come to a decision point, And I did, I mean, I, obviously I did. But I just, I didn't want to not be pleasing to God. Well, I love that you mentioned that too, that you were digging this out for yourself and you had to know for yourself. And that's so important because I feel like that is a strong foundation 
um, because people that just kind of do things just because people say, you know, that's knowing it for yeah. yourself is just a different thing. And so I wanted to go into my next question. And, you know, you mentioned that you, there were struggles that you mentioned to the lady at the lake, you know, that there were still struggles, even though you had committed to your husband and that was not a lifestyle that you wanted to turn back to. So what are some of the things that you struggled with even after you got the Holy Ghost that pertain to your old lifestyle? Well, some of them I won't say, you know, but honestly, <laughs> right. whatever you're I comfortable it, with. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really just comes down to, for me, um, you know, attraction is a real thing. And, right. you know, people like in a relationship, like we in our movement, well, not just in our movement, in Christianity in general, a lot of times, like we, we ask women to make a covenant with our bodies, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to um, be provocative. I'm not going to, and we ask our men to make a covenant with their eyes because we know like the lusts on either side, I want to be seen and, you know, be seen as beautiful and men struggle is more like keeping their eyes in check and not, not looking, you know? So for me, I know like attraction is a real thing. And there were times I, I was attracted to women still afterwards, but I had to make a covenant with my eyes and with my heart, with my mind that I'm, I'm, that's not what I want. And so it was like a conscious thing. I would honestly say, even back then, I probably didn't have the language to call it a covenant with my eyes or um, to understand that I was even attracted. I just remember having to say no. And it's kind of, you know, like the scriptural idea, like casting down every imagination or um, I would I would just refuse to go down that road. And I, I know my husband's mom would say, actually, his dad would say, and they got it from his grandma, which was, you know, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. Probably a lot of people have heard that, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. And I had a lot of moments where things would like maybe. Um, I don't know how to say it. And it, it wasn't just with women. It was with men too, right? I mean, in general, I had had a lot of experiences before I was married and it was hard for me before I got into church. And it was hard for me to, um, sometimes those memories, you know, would come back at me and I would have to say, no, I'm not going to glorify that even in my mind. You know, I can't go there at all. And I think that's so powerful that you're saying this. And I, really want our listeners to understand this is that even though you have the Holy Ghost and were married to a wonderful husband and made that covenant, there were still struggles that you have because there are people that um that God just, you know, heal miraculously or or deliver miraculously. It's like, oh, I never, you know, God touched me and I never ever had another craving for this or I never had right. this. And and those do happen, but there are also many times when there are still struggles even after the fact. Yeah. And and talking about that, like, you know, if you still have a struggle, it doesn't mean that you're less saved. It just means that we have to continue walking the path. That's right. And, and we're going to be tempted, but not give in to those temptations. Right. Well, you know, so last night in our Bible study at church, we were talking about um, in Exodus. This isn't a small group Bible study. It wasn't like um, everybody wasn't in there. And we were talking about in Exodus 20 when God um, after he brings them out of Egypt, the children of Israel out of Egypt, and then right before he gives the covenant at Mount Sinai, mm -hmm. um, there's this moment where he reminds them, he said, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you. And then he says, thou shalt like, basically don't serve any gods besides me. Don't turn to idols, like no other gods. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about why is it that he reminds us of our deliverance before he, um, asks things of us. And I feel like for me, it was, um, there's something powerful about 
covenant. And I, of course, I didn't know all this then, but I had entered into a covenant with God and with my husband. And so to go back on those things was not easy, but there's always constant temptations. And so it really is like a, um, it's, it's a, I don't know the right word. It's like set your mind like a flint, you know, don't, but that, yeah, there was a lot of struggles. I had a lot of times of temptation where I, I felt like a failure because I let myself think on things too long or fantasize too long, you know, like, you know, I was, what is it saying? We're well, not saying even scripture, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, I knew what was right, but it wasn't always easy to, a lot of times I let my mind wander way longer than I should have. And then trying to come back from that into reality was not, um, you know, and there's a lot of shame with it. And, and that is such a, another really powerful thing is just that there is a lot of shame in that we feel, you know, we're human. And so, you know, the temptations are real, but the Lord says temptations, like I mentioned before, it's going to come, but it's about overcoming it every day. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to go into my next question and I wanted to ask you, um, what would you say that some of the things that church members did right to help you along your journey to God? Because, and then we'll talk about things that you know, weren't so helpful, but I wanted people to kind of know that are listening to this podcast, if you encounter somebody who is, you know, of another lifestyle than you are, or not, you know, not living the life that they need to, you know, as, as coming into the church for the very first time, but what are the things that they need to do? And what are the things that were helpful to you along that journey? Yeah. So one of the things was just people loved me and, you know, not everybody knew my background, and in fact, so I, I tell this story sometimes, but my mother-in-law, who um, was my first pastor's wife, I remember I had I had been coming to church for maybe, um, oh, maybe two or three months. And one time we I walked in the church doors and I was in the vestibule area and I turned to go down the hallway. Well, when I did, my mother-in-law was coming the opposite, which wasn't my mother-in-law then, but the pastor's wife was coming down the hallway the opposite way. And so we met in the hallway And she just looked at me and she said, I'm so glad you're here, Tina. And she looked at me for a long time. You know, it probably wasn't that long, but it made me really nervous because I was still living like all of my lifestyle, you know, even though I wasn't with my girlfriend technically anymore. We had moments where we'd see each other or, um, you know, it was and then but and then I was using drugs, too. So I remember um, when she said, we're so glad you're here. And she looked at me. I got nervous. And I blurted out, I said, sometimes I come to church high. I mean, I was like, I just got so, I was like, why did I say that? As soon as I said it, I was like, shut up, Tina, come on, what are you thinking? And she held my gaze. I mean, she didn't, she, I didn't shock her. I wasn't trying to, you know, I was, but she just said, that's okay. We're just glad you're here. And I, she wasn't just saying it, she meant it. So she loved me in spite of, the stuff in my past. Now she didn't know all my past then, but it didn't, I felt safe because I knew that if she could love me through that, then she could love me through other things. Um, but I really didn't talk a lot about it except for, um, a few people. And then my husband, of course, he knew before we got married, the more serious we got, I remember telling him, Hey, there are some things you need to know about me. And he was, he's a good man. He said, no, I don't need to know it's all under the blood. And I said, okay, maybe you don't need to know, but I need to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was a hard thing for me because I didn't want to tell him too much and then have him be, be like, uh, uh-uh, you know, it's too much. But I didn't want to tell, not tell him enough and then him feel like I had deceived him, right? So like this fine line of like, how much do I say? Mm-hmm. So I, um, I remember being in the car one time. We, we were driving home, 
And I just said, you know, I, I have done a lot of things and I messed up a lot. And I, I said, at least let me tell you this. And so I told him that I had had relationships with women and men. And um, he was so sweet. He put his arm around me and he said, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me. And um, so just the unconditional love was really, and then walking beside me, you know, not, not, not hearing things and then abandoning me, but staying by my side. And not like they had to be other people. I mean, my husband had to be in my life every day. Um, but in general, it wasn't like I was expecting people to, um, how do I say, not like I didn't need constant reassurance, you know, that everything was fine mm-hmm. with them. But in the moments when we were together, I they hadn't they didn't change how they thought about me, and it was all. And if they did, they were really good at hiding it. They just kept showing me love. I'm so glad that you mentioned the story about your mother-in-law because I did hear you say that before, yeah. and that is just the most you know really just did something to me when I heard that because what an amazing thing to say to somebody, you know okay, you know, you're coming, sometimes I come to church high, you know what, I'm just glad that you came to church. Yeah, I'm just glad just keep coming. And knowing what God can do and knowing that loving people, I mean, what a life changer that is. What a life changer, right? Just love them. Just love them. So simple, but you know, it it, it is so simple, but sometimes it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't seem so simple sometimes. No, so, when I heard someone say a while back, because, you know, there's a scripture in Corinthians about like charity never fails, love never mm-hmm. fails. And I heard someone say, when all else fails and you don't know what to do, try love because love never mm-hmm. fails, you know, and it's like, um, now our love is imperfect. So sometimes our love does fail, you know, because it's really motivated by selfishness or whatever. But in general, like just to love people loved me and that made me feel safe enough and welcome enough to be able to close doors. Cause honestly, if I wasn't building real authentic relationships in the church and people weren't willing to give me a chance, I would have been really slow in shutting doors in my life and, you know, prior doors, because I would have had to keep them open just for like connection and, you know, self-validation and all those sorts of things. But because I was getting that in the church in real meaningful ways, not superficial, not people just glad handing me, you know, or, um, it was real people really loving me, gave me what I needed to be able to say, I don't need those relationships anymore. Right. Yes. That, that is amazing. And that was, of course, your, your pastor's wife that eventually became your mother-in-law. No figure, so, yes, yes. Yes. No figure. Look at what God did. I know. So I wanted to switch into asking now that we've talked about what it, it how important it is to give people that love in the church and walk beside them. And I also love that you said, walk beside me, you know, walk beside people. Cause it's not just like this one-time thing. It's this continual thing right. that we do. Um, so I wanted to switch into talking about what are some of the things that maybe church members could have done differently or just people in, in, in general. And, you know, we don't have to be super specific, but what are some of the things that you wish maybe you would have cringed um, that mm-hmm. you have seen personally um, cause sometimes we don't know, people don't know how to approach people. So I want them to know maybe this isn't the thing that you should do, or maybe we should think twice. Yeah. So how can we do things differently? I would say one thing is just watch our language. I, I have been in, in, I, I hesitate to use the word. I actually use it in my book. And it was something that the editorial board had to approve because it's 
um, but the word faggot, I know I hate to even say it out loud. It feels like a curse word, but it's just, it's not necessary. And it, it's right. hurtful because you don't always know, like people would use that word and had, they had no idea who I looked like a church lady, right? They didn't know my background. And I could just think like, if I would have heard some of those things too early walking in the church doors, I might've left because I wouldn't have felt welcome. And I want to be real clear too. The lifestyle I was living is not welcome in the body of Christ. It's not, it's not that it's not, we don't love the people. It's not any of that, but I couldn't live that lifestyle and still remain um, true to the God of the Bible. I just couldn't. So I'm not saying like tolerate every behavior, but we also want to know that when people are going the right direction and coming out of that, um, we, so I just would say, be careful. And I, I, t- I tell of a story in my book and I've talked about it before where I was at a fellowship and my husband and I were there and um, we, I was young, we were young marrieds and there was a man talking and he said like, God can't save homosexuals, but he didn't say homosexuals. Uh, he didn't say gays. He said the F word, you know, faggots. And he said, God can't save them. And my husband um, looked at me and I won't say anything, you know, I didn't want people to know. And my husband said, if he says it again, I'm going to have to say something. And so the man said it again. And then my husband said like motioned to the man and said, brother, so-and-so, do you know my wife? And of course he said, yes, of course I know her. You know, he said, well, if you're saying God can't save those people, then you're saying God can't save my wife. So sometimes just in our normal conversation, people are around hearing and we don't know who those people are or what their backgrounds are. And another thing is like when the woman, when we were at the lake, the pastor's wife, when she asked questions about it, it actually, it was, I got nervous, but it was helpful because it wasn't like a taboo subject. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying we should talk about it every day. I don't, you know, and I'm not saying it's, it, I'm, of course it's going to be uncomfortable, but um, I think genuinely loving someone sometimes means getting to know them. And that means where they've come from. So not shying away from difficult conversations. I actually, I teach a book in my um, class at the Bible college called Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. And Sister Rachel Coulthard told me about the author. Um, it was a book called The Benedict Option that she talked to me about, which if you haven't read it, it's really good. But there's another book uh, by him called um, Live Not By Lies. And in it, it the idea is that um, he talks about that we are not, most of us are not brave enough to go out in the public square and proclaim what we really believe, especially in a world that's hostile to what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, not willing. I, I don't walk out everywhere I go. Like this is not... My life is as a servant of God, as a pastor's wife, all those sorts of things. I don't feel like my identity is even really rooted in what I used to do. But even still, it's like it's not easy to go out and talk about these things. So what we have to do is make a public square for ourselves within the church where we we have an opportunity to talk about issues in ways that are loving and kind so that when we go out into the world, we have language to do it. If we don't get to practice it in the church, where are we going to practice it, you know? So I would say it's okay to make spaces in the church to talk about these things um, in love and not, not that you can't condemn it. It, it is a non-biblical lifestyle. So I'm not saying you ha- we have to pretend or lie about it either, we, but you know, we can speak the truth in love. And so I would say that's not always what I've seen in the church. And that made it difficult for me to talk about it for a long time. I'm also thankful that you mentioned that that scenario about, you know, your husband speaking up for you, because those are some of the the things that kind of, you know, hit me and made me kind of thinking like, wow, you know, I can't believe that somebody would actually do that. But, you know, it happens often, unfortunately. 
and and how hurtful that is to somebody, even though, like you mentioned, it's not a lifestyle that you live anymore, but it's still very offensive to think like you can't save somebody. No, you know, that that's not true at all. First of all, we know it's not true, but you know, the things that people say and the language that they use, um, it's it's gotta be, like you said, speaking the truth in love. It's gotta come from a a loving place. And so Yeah, and I don't think it's just for me, like someone who's come out of that lifestyle, but even as the church, more and more. I mean, I I will be very guarded in how I say, but there was a pastor's wife I was talking to at General Conference who uh, in our conversation, I've known her for a long time. And in our conversation, she mentioned that she had a gay child. And I said, why did I never know this? And she said, honestly, it's because I don't know how to talk about it. And then the other day I was on the phone with the pastor's wife um, when I don't really know very well. And she was telling me about a gay family member. And she said, you know, I'm just starting to talk about it because it, it because when the church uses hurtful language or shows doesn't show love, then it's, it's hard for everybody to talk about it. Not just people who have come out of that. Right. And making, you mentioned making that safe space, making that safe space for people to be able to talk about this stuff without, without those kind of, you know, negative words. And, you know, like you said, we're not saying that it's okay, but just being able to be able to say that and it not feeling like you have to clam up. Or, you know, oh, I don't want to say this because I know what this person is going to say. So I, I love that you mentioned that being able to speak the truth and love and love people and make that space. Well, um, even in like, I, and not to go too far down, but I had a colleague at a community college where she, um, when she got hired, she's lesbian. And mm-hmm. I talked to her, you know, it's about conversation over the years. And I just said, well, you know, actually, I had a girlfriend before I was married to my husband. And she's like, you? She was so shocked by it. And I said, yeah. And she said, so do you think my lifestyle is wrong? And I said, well, scripturally, but it's like, okay, so I want to say this. It's so hard to have these conversations because I love the woman, you know, Mm -hmm. she's dear to me in many ways. And I think like, I don't want to hurt her, but I also don't want to, I don't want to be untruthful. And so it's like a fine line to say, I, I love you. I want you blessed, you know, and that lifestyle, it does typically not bring blessing. I mean, this is not even, this is not church people saying this, this is um, like social scientists. We know the suicide rate is how high in the gay community. Maybe it's better now, but back when I was living in it, it was so high um, incidences of um, just like dark, you know, and so I just would say that like, it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to go too far down that road, but I just know that it's hard to have these conversations anywhere, not mm-hmm. just in the church. So that's why I bring that up. It's not like these are difficult topics with a lot of nuances and a lot of um, moments where they could go bad if people don't truly love each other, you know, and if it's not coming from a place of love. So I would just say it's not I don't want to place all the blame on the church and say the church doesn't know how to talk about this. I would say in our in general. public lives in general, these are difficult topics because pe- people are people and we all have tendencies to do things that are against the word of God. And so to, um, I don't know, maybe pick on things that, I mean, we, I, remember, I remember somebody was saying the other day, they said, yeah, not too many churches teach on gluttony, you know, right. And just teasing, you know, well, yeah, because we have fellowship after church and um, <laughs> it's easy to find like pet sins and pick on those. And I just, I don't, we should be careful not to do that maybe. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that too, because that's so important for us to realize, yes, it's not just, it's just a 
society in general, we see it more in the church because we, you know, we have a, a scriptural kind of stance on that. We believe that. Um, but like you said, even just talking about it to colleagues and stuff, it's not something that is always an easy conversation for anybody to have. So mm-hmm. making that, making that space is so important. And I wanted to go into, um, one of my last questions is kind of, we're going into that is what do you want our listeners to know about struggling with homosexuality? What is, is it that kind of maybe people don't really understand about it that we haven't already talked about? I don't know. So I would just say in, at the end of the day, we all, I mean, and okay. So we think about pornography, for instance, and that was something I also struggled with at times in my life. And mm-hmm. I would say that in some ways it's no different, right? I mean, it's, it's sexual behaviors outside the bounds of the word of God. And so in some ways it's, it's really not that much different than anything else. It's, um, and even, and I would say too, and I, um, I first heard this years ago and then my husband preached a few weeks ago about this. And I, you know, we, we talk as a movement not just we, but as a movement, but um, probably Christendom in general, typically would say like, what's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Mm-hmm. Well, homosexuality, right? But uh, I should have had it pulled up if you, somebody can look it up and then post it in the comments or whatever. But um, scripture is very clear that the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, that's how the it starts, was pride, fullness mm-hmm. of bread and abundance of idleness. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not. Um, it's very clear. It might be Jeremiah, but I'm probably making that up. Um, pride, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. And I would say that it's easy to pick on pet sins, but well, pride. Yeah. I, of course, who doesn't struggle with that? Some, um, fullness of bread. Yeah. It's like when our bellies are full and we feel good about ourselves and we have a lot of free time, which is our society. Right. Mm -hmm, I mean, it's, (laughs) um, we, we have a tendency to get into things that are harmful for us. And I, you can see it taken to its extreme in Sodom and Gomorrah where it was. Um, but that was not the, I'm, I'm not saying that wasn't a sin that affected them, but scripture talks about it a little bit differently. And when you get to the root, because I would say that what we saw in Sodom and Gomorrah was the fruit of the, the sin and underneath it was the pride, abundance of bread and fullness of idleness. And I would say all of us are in some ways susceptible to sin, of course, um, mm-hmm. probably sexual sin too. You know, we, we have to keep our minds and our bodies pure and, you know, not, so I would say it's probably not all that different in our approach to like God healing me from my past experiences. I, there was a lot of molestation and open doors when I was young and, and in so many ways, what happens when we come into the church and God begins to heal us is it's a process of shutting doors and when you walk beside somebody who's shutting doors in their life, it, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what those doors are as long as they're shutting them. So I would just say we have to be mindful of that when we're walking beside people is um, as long as the door is getting shut, what's behind it really is, that doesn't mean it might not try to sneak out under the threshold or come in through a window. So it's not like those things are gone forever from people's lives. Satan's still going to try, but I, I would say just be careful not to, um, like categorize somebody a certain way or, um, and I, I want to be careful too, because I know there's a difference between people who are like living in a lesbian lifestyle or a gay lifestyle. And then there are people who are like activists, you know, and who come in with an agenda and that's maybe a whole different conversation, 
that wasn't my experience. I was looking for love. I wanted to be valued and accepted. And mm-hmm. I wasn't coming in with some agenda trying to like change the church or change people's accept. I was just trying to be loved myself and do right by God. So I, I do think it's a different conversation if we're talking about somebody coming with a political agenda. And right. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I don't know if we no, want, even like, want to open that door, but I would just say that might be a different conversation. I'm talking about people who are sincerely seeking. Right. And, um, you know, you mentioned something that kind of just really I want everybody to kind of think about is that um, when you mentioned the scriptures and stuff that things kind of just don't happen overnight you know it's a process it's like you let one thing in you know my mind is going to you let these things in and it it comes from I think of like the the core sin you know the pride you mentioned pride and that was one of the first sins that was mentioned what got Satan kicked out of heaven and so it's kind of like a progression of things it wasn't it didn't just start with like okay you know I'm I'm homosexual, you know, there were lots of things that you mentioned in your own life that were open doors. Um, And, you know, that's a totally different conversation you mentioned, you know, for you, it was, you know, molestation when you were younger, exposed to different things when you were younger. And and maybe at some time we'll talk about all this stuff. And if you, if you buy Dr. Royer's book, you will definitely read all of those things. So I encourage everybody that's listening to buy the book and to read the entire testimony. But you know, knowing that it wasn't just kind of just something that just kind of happened. It it was some a number of different things that opened up this door. And so, you know, categorizing sin, it's like, okay, but, every, you know, it's not just like, oh, this is like the worst thing ever. You know, there are other things that yeah. are definitely other things kind of. Yeah, and, well, and I can still remember like being in high school and seeing a woman, she wasn't a woman, she was a girl, you know, we were in high school mm-hmm. that I thought was beautiful and being attracted to her. And I knew that she was in a lesbian relationship at the time. So it was like, I it was curiosity led to a behavior, like an action mm-hmm. and led to more open doors because then when I was hanging around her, there was all these other people, all these parties, all, the, you know, so it was like, it was like one step at a time into the lifestyle. And I would say it was one step at a time out of it too. Um, the only difference was that on the way out of it, that I was like on the way into it, I was curious and kind of meandering, you know, but yeah. on the way out of it, I was like, I, I knew that I didn't want to live it anymore. So it was a lot quicker of a trip out because I, I wasn't trying to um, explore, you know, if that makes sense. I just, mm-hmm. I was I wanted out of it as much as I could because I I really didn't want to please God. And I'm just kind of kind of throw this out because I just when you're mentioning this, because so many people in our society are you know, the view is is like I was born this way. Yeah. And uh that kind of just uh, you know, but we know that we were born in, you know, of a fallen human nature. But you know, what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that this didn't just kind of happen. This didn't just, and I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just feel like this didn't just kind of this happen. Like this kind of, there was open doors that kind of led to this. And would you say that that would be the case? Like, this is just kind of, I mean, I mean, you didn't feel like you were born like this. You felt like this was just kind of that. Is that what I'm? Oh, without a doubt. I was absolutely not born. Right. right. I for sure not, but I know people who, who were, they say they were, they, why well, I'm not going to, what I wouldn't say they are lying. Um, but what I would say is it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, if you're born this way, if you're not born this way, 
scripture commands that we're born again. And right. so it, it it's kind of a moot point for me, but I was absolutely not born gay. I was interested in uh, and attracted to men. And um, I, I walked willingly through those doors. Like I, I was curious. I can remember the first moment being attracted to a woman. It was not like something that had always been for me. But I do know people from a very young age who were attracted to the same sex. And I don't, so I don't, I, there's a book, it's called The Marketing of Evil by David Capellian. It's, um, it's really interesting of a read and there's a few bones to spit out in it, but not a lot. Um, but he talks about like the agenda that, um, to, to make like a gay lifestyle acceptable. And it's, it is, I don't know, I, I wouldn't recommend everyone read it, but it it is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I would say that there was a, um, a very specific agenda that went into saying we, that people are born gay, um, kind of like a civil rights type. You know, I don't, uh, I, I keep opening doors and I'm like, I don't want to go <laughs> on all that. But yeah. I, for me, I was absolutely not born that way, but I know people believe they were or really were. I don't know. I can't judge people's experience, but it, it just, at the end of the day, I think it's, it doesn't matter. We still have to um, commit to live a godly life, whatever that, whatever that means we have to give up. And I have heard you say that too. I think that was also one of the things that you did when you did the Dean's lecture at um, Urshan College mm-hmm. and you mentioned uh, like you're mentioning now it doesn't matter what you were born like you have to be all have to be born again yeah. we all have to be new creatures in Christ no matter what we feel like and you know what our life look like and how we feel about it so I think that's another thing that I really want to encourage our listeners to know is that it doesn't matter what you know, what your life is or was before or what somebody's life is currently, you know, as long as you're born again. And, you know, that that really is what matters. And so I just wanted to ask if you had any last closing remarks that you wanted to give to our listeners about this subject, about our book, anything that you can think of. I would just say, um, I know for a fact that there are young people right now in our movement who are struggling in silence because of shame and fear of rejection. And I know that for a fact, because I have talked to many, I mean, I've spoken at Urshan at Indiana Bible college. I'm at Christian life college. And I would say at all three of those places, um, I wouldn't say, I mean, it's true at all three of those places. I have talked to people who have struggled with a gay lifestyle and who are sometimes actively living it in silence, in secret, under the cover of darkness. And I would just say that um, find someone safe to talk to. I, at the end of the day, it's, I, I, we want to be fulfilled and living in our calling, what God's asked us to do. And if we're hiding things, not that, I mean, not, and you know, for me, I did not talk about my life for a long time. My prior experiences because I, I, those same reasons, I was ashamed of it. I was embarrassed. And even still, I don't like talking about it. So I, when you first reached out to me about the podcast, I really struggled with, do I want to talk a whole podcast session about this? Because it's uncomfortable. And we don't, I don't always say things in the way I mean them, you know, I'm human stuff comes out and I'm like, oh, I didn't mean that. Could that be hurtful? Or could I be construed as being like too soft or too hard? I don't know. But we, we so I don't, I don't talk about this in my daily life, you know, here and there, there are moments when I do, or when I give my testimony, I touch on it. 
and then I move on because I don't want to be pigeonholed into this thing like well that's um so I really hesitated to do it it took like God nudging me and saying it's okay go ahead I talked to my husband about it but I would just say that um we don't you don't want to go and broadcast indiscriminately you know here's what I am here's what I'm struggling with but find safe people who will love you and walk beside your life's journey with you and help you shut some doors maybe even to figure out what doors you need to shut so I would just say that I know there are people who struggle with this and you're not alone um God's not okay with it and I, I know that to, to make a stand like that in our culture sounds almost like hate speech you know but the God of the Bible has condemned it but that doesn't mean he's condemned you you know that's there is still hope so well thank that's you it. Yay. Thank you so much, Dr. Tina Royer. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us. And I feel like, you know, the exchange podcast, we have many things and many topics that I feel like we need to talk about more. And that's kind of the reason why I started this podcast is there's so many subjects that we don't talk about enough. And, you know, talking about them and educating them, educating people. And, you know, it just makes us better. When we know better, we do better. And I've said that on many of my podcasts is like, when we know better, we do better. And so um, I want us to do better. And this is how, this is how we do better is by having these conversations. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your ministry, what you were doing, um, the book that you have written, and your um, ministry towards our young people, college age, and your burden. So thank you, sister. It has been an honor and a privilege to have you on the Exchange Podcast. Thank you so much. And I keep, I'm not good at this. I keep looking and I'm like, oh, I have to fix my hair. You look so beautiful (laughs) and I'm over here. So, you know, it's not like battles ever go away, right? There's still pride, There's, you know. Lord help me, but I really appreciate the opportunity. And I thank you for opening up the dialogue because it's not easy conversations to have. And, right. um, but it is necessary. We've got to start figuring out how we can talk about this kind of thing in a loving way. Um, we see more and more people coming through the doors hurt by the world in ways that we couldn't have imagined a long time ago. And um, this, this kind of, like your podcast, I believe helps equip us to talk about it in a way that um, is hurt, not hurtful. Right. Thank you. Thank you again, Sister Dr. Tina Royer, and to all of our podcast listeners. God bless you all, and we are signing off today. God bless. God bless you.